Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I long to hear these glorious words spoken by the Master. Well done, good and faithful servant. I long to hear those words one day, and I suspect that most, if not all of you, do too. To want to hear those words from our Lord, which would be the the crowning thing of a life lived to the praise and glory of God. Which is why it's of the utmost importance that we distinguish what is it that separates these good and faithful servants in Jesus' story from the wicked and slothful one. What is it that separates these three servants? We need to filter through and determine what it might be. What do I have to do in order to be good enough, faithful enough, productive enough? But upon closer examination of this story, we see that actually it's not so much that there's three different categories, but two. There's those good and faithful servants, the ones entrusted with the five and two talents, respectively. And then there's the one with the one talent, the wicked and slothful one. There's really just these two. And as we look more closely at it, too, we see that it's not so much a matter of of what they do as what they see, how they see their master. That's what makes all the difference. What I want to do this morning is to compare and contrast these two servants, if you will, the the good and faithful one and the wicked and slothful one, to see what separates the two of them, to see how they see, so that you and I might know that we are reckoned among the good and faithful, and we might be confident to hear those words spoken by our master on the last day. Well done good and faithful. But first we should start with the one who's not good and faithful, the one who's wicked and slothful, that third servant who has the one talent. When he looks at his master, what does he see? Well, he's all too forthcoming about what he sees. He tells him when he gets called before the master, he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. If I were to use a single word to describe his view of the master, it's that he views him as a miser. (laughs) When he looks at his master, he sees him as as a hard man. He's a hard man. He's a mean old cuss. Somebody who's just skimping and scraping by. That's how he sees his master. And so how does he live in response? When he sees his master that way, then he lives in response with fear. With fear. He doesn't so much act as out of cowardice, he has inaction. He just takes his talents and he goes and he buries it. He hides it in the ground. It reminds me of Adam in the garden, who for fear of God's presence among him, he goes and hides himself. Well, here in this story, we have the man who's afraid of the master and goes and hides not himself, but his talent. And in fact, there's another reason that I think back to the garden as well. Because we have to ask this guy, this servant, this third servant, is he right in his evaluation of the master? Well, of course not. He's absolutely not. And yet what he has to say and the reaction that he has has resonances and echoes of the temptation of the devil in the garden. You remember how the serpent said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? 
Did God really say that? Which is another way of him saying, like, hey, uh, are you so sure that God's not holding out on you? Do you know that he's kind toward you? Do you know that he's, he's gracious and generous? Can you be so sure? What the serpent all the way back in the garden was trying to implant into the minds of Adam and Eve, and I would say successfully, is precisely what we see with this third servant as well in the story. An idea, a picture of the master as one who is selfish and tight-fisted, who's less of a savior than a Scrooge. And I think that you and I can fall into the same view and vision of God as well. When we start to look at God as though he's just waiting, waiting to come after you and me. He's just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it can sound ever so pious, ever so humble, as though you're ever so serious about sin. To say, yes, I, I know that God someday he, he's going to judge me and I'm just living in this reality day by day and so I'm, I'm trying to be faithful. But in reality, that's a heart gripped by fear when you live as though Damocles' sword is just hanging over you and any given moment, God might just drop it. That kind of attitude and that vision of God is not faithful. It's fearful. It's not humble or honest at all. In fact, it is profoundly dishonest because it has an impression of your master as a Scrooge, as a tight-fisted miser. And that's no way to view him at all. So we need to look at these other two servants. They show us a much better, more faithful way of seeing your master. Because straight away, they get the master's trust, and what do they do? They go out and they get busy. They start trading with what the master had entrusted to them. They're going for broke with whatever they've been given from him, his talents. And why? How are they able to do that? It's because their view of the master, the way that they see him, although they don't say it, we can infer it. They see the master as a, a kind and generous Lord whose trust in them and for them is more than enough. They see him not as a Scrooge, but more like Santa. <laughs> One who is endlessly generous and who's going to, to give to them again and again. And so they go. They go with confidence and boldness. See, the problem was never about productivity. The problem was never about productivity. Are you good enough? Are you faithful enough? Are you bringing back enough talents? I think that we can be misled when we read that story and we say, well, the ones who get commended are the ones who, you know, doubled their investment. So I need to be a really good investor. If I'm not making the most of all of my talents, then one day, one day, my master, my Lord is going to return and he's going to toss me in with the wicked and the slothful ones. But you know what? It's never about how productive you are. And I go so far as to say, that if one of those servants who had gone for broke, trusting in the goodness and the kindness of his master, had in fact gone broke and been bankrupt and come back to him, I imagine that the master would have responded this way and said, well done, good and faithful servant. He might even say, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Because what matters most is not the servant's work, but the master's trust and our vision of him, seeing him not through the, the gimlet eyes of fear, but through the grateful eyes of faith, recognize all is a gift given from him. 
And that's how it is for you and me too. You and I live under the blessing of a kind and generous and gracious Lord who is for you, who isn't holding out on you, and who isn't waiting for you to fail, to see if you slip up so that finally he can smite you because he's really in the smiting business. You have a kind and generous Lord. St. Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How, Paul says, the kind and generous Father who has given his own Son for your sake, how will he not also with him graciously give to you and me all things? He is for you, not against you, and he entrusts his good gifts to you, knowing that you are his beloved children. He says, go out, have fun, do well. Make trades. See what you can do because I've given all of this to you. I love you. I'm for you. You can't mess this up. And when we believe that, when we have hearts that instead of being filled with fear are filled with faith, a faith that trusts, that the master's trust is more than enough, then that transforms how we live. And here I want to give you an analogy. And I offer it to you with some trepidation. Because never in my wildest dreams did I thought that I would use the Detroit Lions as a good analogy. <laughs> but the day has come, friends. The day has come. If you watched the game last Sunday, or even if you didn't, you know that it came down to this key moment right at the end of the game. It had been this back and forth, back and forth, until finally the Lions had the ball and it's fourth down. It's fourth down, and they could just go for a field goal. Hopefully they make it, and maybe if they do, then the other team has a chance to come down. But instead, the coach says, no, we're going for it. Fourth down, game on the line, everything out there. And afterward, the reporters were asking the quarterback, Jared Goff, they're saying, what his reaction was in that moment. If he was afraid, if he was fearful, if he was worried, like everything's on you in that moment. And he said, no, absolutely not. Because, he said, we wanted to prove Coach right. He trusts us, and he lets us go to work. He knew that even if they were not to make that play, though all the fans would have been incredibly upset, he knew that his coach was still for him, that he was with him, that he had his coach's trust, and therefore he could go for forth in faith and in confidence. Another one of the players, Taylor Decker, said, when your coach believes in you and you know that he believes in you, we love that. It sets him free. And the author of the article said something that for a preacher just immediately rang in my ears. He said, don't underestimate the power of talent and trust working in tandem together. Don't underestimate the power of talent and trust working in tandem together. In case you've been living under a rock, they did get the fourth down and they won the game. They didn't underestimate the power of talent and trust working together. If that's true for a football team, how much more is that true for you and me? See, Because in Christ Jesus, the victory has already been won. Amen? The victory has already been won, and it is in no wise in doubt. And he sends forth you and me into this game of life and says, Go! Have at it! Give it a shot! You can't fail! You can't fail except to be in fear and to fail to try at all. But instead to go forth in faith, knowing that you have the Master's trust. So what do we do instead? We seek to joyfully prove him right. 
the one who already has your back and will always have your back, we can go forth seeking joyfully to prove him right. My friend and mentor, Rick Lisher, he liked to say that you never go broke betting everything on God. You never go broke betting everything on God. And our guy Martin Luther, he put it this way. He said that faith is a living, daring confidence, so sure and certain that a man would stake his life on it a thousand times. And in the end, when your master comes, whether you have been a soaring success or a spectacular failure in the eyes of the world, and perhaps even in your own eyes, no matter how it has been, lived in faith and trust in your master, you can be confident that you will hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.